0: On this week's show, we talk about DC Comics teaming up with Hanna-Barbera characters.
1: And the one last Looney Tune left behind.
0: This week, on Graphic Content. Stay a while and listen. He called you a cowboy. What in Sam Hill? What did he mean? What are you? I'm the abomination. The strongest human (laughs) of all. Uh.
1: Know this swimming bird. Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've got me done. This blue eye perceives all things conjoined.
0: I don't cared much for the word impregnable. The past. It sounds a bit too much like unsinkable the future. What's wrong with unsinkable? Nothing. And the present. As the iceberg said to the Titanic. What's How's life? He seems All of the equipment. <laughs>
1: Please, I've seen its true face.
0: What's going on here? Survival, Captain. Plain and simple. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. And we're back with episode twenty-eight of the Graphic Content Podcast. My name is Jim Mason, and I'm Vic Sage. No, oh fuck. Wait, I'm Adam Messinger. Yes, that's it. Your identity is no longer a question. Yes. See what I did there? I, I like it. I that, like it. That was that was kind of cool. And uh, we're here to talk about the DC hanna Barbaric mashup comics, which came out back in March. But we have one bit of business to handle before the onslaught that was the San Diego news that has ruled the last three episodes of our podcast. Yes, that
1: juggernaut of a convention. Wow.
0: You know, I don't know how we could have done that all in a single show. It would have been a three or four hour That was our initial plan, wasn't it? Well, it was initial plan until sanity came back into my mind. Yeah, that
1: was. (laughs) Well, I mean, we weren't really expecting that much news to come out of it. And, And
0: I think we even said so on the episode previous that usually San Diego, or at least up until the last few, you know, up for the last few years, has not been a big news thing. I mean, they made announcements. Which we already had heard about, whether I'm Bleeding Cool, NewsRama, CBR, etc.
1: That's kind of become the thing to do: is to leak all that ahead of time,
0: and then they confirm, and then you know we talk about. But no, they actually had a lot of newsworthy beats. Um, we found the Eisner Awards extremely interesting to talk about. That was a lot of fun, and we have a lot of comics that we're going to have to go out to read. So I supported went to, by that.
1: You remember that chart? What was the, the life of Charlie Chu?
0: Uh, the one was, that was always it was the life of Charlie Chan Chuck Soy or something like that. Please, yeah, but by forgive we, me if I'm I'm
1: yeah by Sunny. We, so I went
0: Sonny Lou right. Yeah,
1: I went to to order that on off the distributor website for oh, the shop. Yeah, because I was just like fuck it, I'm gonna order this and read it. It's sold out. Oh my god. So like I was like I well can't done read this.
0: Eisner Awards.
1: Yeah. So hopefully you know hopefully he's able to get that back in print. And they're yeah. able to, to to make more with it. So, is
0: it on Comixology?
1: That one I didn't check.
0: Okay, so go ahead and write us at Graphic Podcast if it is. And remember, if you write us a note on any of the socials that we're on, we'll send you some digital com, uh, comics codes. To yes, download. I will.
1: Uh, I've made comics in the past, and I have no problem sharing them for zero 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 dollars.
0: That's that's like that's like free. Technically, yeah. That's my favorite word in the dictionary, my favorite four-letter word, besides fuck. Oh, that's, <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Fuck and free. Yeah. Free fuck, funnily enough, is not my favorite, because that, that's a whole level of scary right there, so I think it's better to I take move it. it I know, got low standards. At this point, yeah. I'm a married man, so I, I'm going to move on before I get in trouble. So we're going to talk about Hanna-Barbera comics in a minute, but- we left something on the table before we dived into, or sh- we should say dove, <laughs> I don't, using the Queen's English.
1: You're, you're, I, I before don't judge we do- your English.
0: Before my English ain't too good, or, but we forgot. Well, we didn't forget.
1: We, we just ran did, out of time we ran and out of to-
0: We ran out of time before putting out our DC Looney Tunes episodes to review uh, Lobo Roadrunner. Which we really wanted to do, and we're going to do that right now.:
1: Honestly, when I first heard about it, I just was like, well, I'm probably not missing anything, es- but- especially with uh, you know, in my opinion, Batman, uh, Elmer Fudd taking the cake.
0: It was so good. Um, so I mean, if, yeah. you, if you haven't listened to that episode, I think it's episode 23. Uh, go back and listen to the DC. Looney Tunes episode we did. There is nothing better. At the time, at that moment in time, than Batman, Elmer Fudd. I'm not even kidding. Elmer Fudd was terrifying.
1: And Yeah, so I was just like, there's nothing that's going to be able to top this.
0: And the all-ages backup story in that was fantastic. Yeah, it was just as good. And Batman was the heel of the joke in that one. So again, go back and read that book. It's probably going to be Eisner nominated next Um, year because of Tom King.
1: They had to do a second print.
0: Yeah, so, which they didn't have to do on any of the other titles. No. Um, although,
1: this should kind of tell you our, our stance on it, is I felt like they should have gone to second print with Lobo Roadrunner. Yes. The, the whole premise was essentially uh, Wile E. Coyote hiring out
0: Lobo to take out the Roadrunner. So let's let me go ahead and just drop, because I want you to kind of give us a little bit more in-depth on the plot for that. This was written by a guy that, if you don't know his name, as I didn't, you should know his name. The guy's name is Bill Morrison. Did a lot of work over Bongo Comics. I think he worked on the Simpsons comic in particular. I, I believe so. I know he worked with uh, Jane Wheatland on
1: uh, Lady Robotica.
0: That's right. That's right. And and
1: he's an artist as well. Oh, he's an artist as well, and he's not as prolific of the, a writer.
0: But this guy can write a funny book. Seriously. He should be
1: like I don't know how doors weren't
0: open for him after this. Well, if I, I am just hoping that in the next spate of DC books to come out after Dark Matter, that they seriously look at him to write just mainline DC comics because he is phenomenal. He was accompanied on the main story by I, I don't want to call him the legendary artist, but he is a he's definitely established. one, established. definitely member of the establishment, definitely somebody who is well-regarded amongst Batman fans, especially of the 1990s. That would be Mr. Kelly Jones doing the art for the main story with accompanying colors by Michelle Madsen on this book, which I also enjoyed. I was not familiar with Michelle Madsen's coloring work before, but I really enjoyed the color palette in this as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole creative team knocked it out of the park.
0: Um, so tell the kids a little bit about the story behind, or not the story behind, but the story of Roadrunner and Lobo, oh, of okay. all creatures coming together. So
1: before we get into this, I just want to just put it out there that this is a completely spoiler-filled podcast. Good point. If you've not read this, take some time, bite off Comixology, and then we can compare opinions.
0: Seriously, this episode is free. Again, my yeah. favorite four-letter word. Go ahead and hit pause or stop. Come back to it. We'll be here.
1: Yeah. Or uh, take time to uh, go to your local comic book shop. If they still have it, that's probably the better place to get it. But uh, if you want it right now, Comixology will have it.
0: Precisely. Unless you live right next door to a comic book store. Then walk next door. It'll be good for you. Get your blood flowing. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, tell them a little bit about the story, Adam. So...
1: The way it starts out is there's a science accident on these animals that have
0: been experimented on in 1949 in the southwest at Acme Laboratories. <laughs> <laughs> and wasn't
1: it wasn't it in like Area 51 or something? It was like Area that? 52. That's what it, I it knew was. It was the one next door to Area yeah, 51. <laughs> I knew it, it was in Albuquerque, but yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: they <laughs> <laughs> Albuquerque. Yeah. Honestly, if you don't watch Looney Tunes, you don't know how important Albuquerque is to their mythology. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh god, it was so it starts out with this and some guy just torches the lab out of animal
0: freedom. Well, they were experimenting on animals like a rabbit, a duck, a coyote, yeah. and a roadrunner. Mhm. Yeah, it was all the <laughs> the Looney
1: Tunes animals.
0: Right. They were they were performing Mad science on them. And uh, so great. Gosh,
1: it was, yeah, it was awesome. So,
0: such a great prologue.
1: So then all the animals get out.
0: They escape in this fire after this guy loses his shit in this mad science laboratory. Mad scientists are prone to do.
1: And he and the the Wiley Coyote is a and they I think that's what like he earns that name not just from being like the play on
0: words, but I think that's like the when he learns to talk later in the issue, that's what he names himself. Like that was his name since he became self aware. He okay. always called himself Wiley. And it was while E middle initial coyote. Yeah, <laughs> super genius.
1: And and you know what? I heard that voice. Yeah, through, he was very uh, the way Morrison wrote it was it was just very. He was very prim and proper. Yes. Um. And even in his like failings or getting into sticky situations, he was trying to be very elegant in how he got out.
0: Exactly.
1: And uh, so, and he runs into a couple of other mutated animals who. What's the the chicken? It's the chicken, right? The little chicken.
0: The oh, the the chicken hawk.
1: Chicken hawk. Yeah, he yes. r- he runs into him. That's how he learns he can talk.
0: Yes. Uh, After he gets captured.
1: Yeah, he's captured. Captured
0: at, by Area Fifty Two in the modern era.
1: That's right. Yeah, and yeah, you see that he has had this long-standing rivalry with the Roadrunner.
0: Yes, and. And they go through some of the beats of what they would do in the cartoon series of okay, I'm gonna hit I'm gonna drop a rock on them here. And the Roadrunner outsmarts them.
1: What was hilarious was the actual like the other had cartoon physics. Like in the in the in the cartoon, it had the cartoon physics. Exactly. In this it had the the real world physics. Exactly.
0: Exactly. (laughs) So
1: and that was funny just to see how, how it pretty much had the same result with a different Different disaster.
0: Exactly. I mean, only a guy who was so well versed in comedy, like Bill Morrison, writing those books from Bongo all those years, he knew comedic timing in comics panels. And his timing by the in the sequential art of the comics panels was just flawless, I thought. The execution was great. It
1: really was. And I feel like Kelly Jones pulled off what was trying to be done in Wonder Woman Taz.
0: That's a good point. That's a really good point.
1: Where they were trying to bring Wonder Woman and Taz and make that more of a realistic, bring Taz into the, the Amazon world. I feel like while that failed, this Kelly Jones has said, no, 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 here's how you do it. Right.
0: Well, and, and I think they were taking themselves too seriously in that comic book where they couldn't, they, they couldn't lean into the comedy of the whole, of like, okay, Diana is teaming up with the Tasmanian Devil. What? <laughs> you know, yeah, they
1: tried to really play that into the actual like Amazon
0: story and and he just came off as some some poor twisted malcreation. I don't know what what else I can call it. Yeah, that.
1: as to where in this it was very the, those characters while they looked, you know, realistic, it was just as much fun.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, it was I mean, and a lot of credit goes to Kelly Jones who you know, I again I don't want to call him legendary, but he had a storied run on, in the Batman franchise. You know, amongst other graphic novels like Batman Red Rain and, and things like oh, that. Oh yeah, he,
1: he helped draw Nightfall.
0: Yes. I mean he was involved with Batman. He did didn't he do some Sandman work as as well? Or, I believe so. I think he did. So again, write us a graphic podcast to correct us. We're highly correctable. We take Very criticism so. all the time. You know, please educate us. But Kelly Jones was never my most favorite illustrator, to be quite honest. That's when I wasn't reading a whole lot of Batman. Bow, a whole lot of Batman. Bow. All right. I don't know where I'm going right. with that. I'm actually in the same
1: mindset. I was yeah. never a huge Kelly Jones fan. I His proportions always kind of left me. Uh, it, it left to be desired, in my opinion, and the exaggerated... Uh, Anatomy just didn't work. And for just me.
0: leaning into the blacks, the black ink work that yeah. he does, it was just a little bit always a little bit too goth for me. I don't yeah. know how else to describe well, it. Well
1: the one thing I did like, and I know that him and Sam Keith have they share this this base, very, mm-hmm. very base style, in my opinion. Yeah. And I know the the guy that inked both of them for the, the early parts of their careers. Uh, he tried to, it was, you could see where his influence is left I to see. today. I see. To where they, when learning to ink themselves, figured out what worked about his inking. So you see that kind of, that, that commonality.
0: Gotcha. And
1: Sam Keith did a Lobo series with Scott Ian from Anthrax. That's right. And... What was cool to me was seeing um, almost a, a very similar version of that Lobo in this. Mm-hmm.
0: Very much so.
1: And uh, even from like the hunchback and everything. And just much like the paramilitary Christmas special with Lobo, <laughs> he is hired yep. uh, to actually take out somebody else when the Roadrunner, or er, sorry, Wiley e. Coyote finds out about him. Yep. And shoots himself into space to get his attention
0: because he's smart enough to shoot himself into space. Yeah,
1: he basically on a rocket is trying to wave a sign through the window and be like pay <laughs> attention to me as he's known to, to
0: to draw signs.
1: Yes, and uh and so basically what ended up happening was they swapped like they swapped jobs. Yes. He said uh he said you kill Roadrunner for me uh, and I'll take your hit job, right. whatever that is. Well, I, it was more forced on him by Lobo.
0: Yeah, Lobo said, okay, if I'm going to do this for you, you bastish, you're going to do this thing for me.
1: Yeah, and uh, you find <laughs> out that that the person he was supposed to, that Lobo was supposed to go kill was Killawog yeah, on Oa. Of, of the Green Lantern Corps. So, so he <laughs> gets to Oa and
0: <laughs> realizes how, fu- <laughs> how, how fucked he is. When I first saw, because you know I'm the hugest like Green Lantern fan. I just... I dig that mythology so much. When I saw that Kilowog was his target, I was like, oh, dude, you're fucked. There's, oh, he's going to fuck you up worse than the Roadrunner does in anyone. Yeah, episode. I was
1: convinced. I was like, oh, it's going to be Chip or somebody comedic. Or Bidge.
0: Or, yeah. or, or what was the fly? There was like a bug, like a Bzzz. little bizzt, I think. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and yeah, I thought it was going to be one of those. He was Mogo's characters. partner.
0: I was yeah. thinking it was going to be something like that.
1: Yeah. That, yeah, And then it's not. It's fucking badass Kilowog. Kilowog.
0: And this is Kilowog. And I'm sorry, Kelly Jones drew a dope kilowatt. He
1: did. It was oh, very,
0: very iconic. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Lobo is having the shittiest time of his life because the Roadrunner is a genetically advanced super animal, just like Wiley e. Coyote, who is smarter or at least wilier than the person going after him. And just like in the cartoon, but in again and again, using very real world, or I should say realistic air quotes, physics. He's falling down into caverns. He's getting hit by rocks. He's exploding himself.
1: And half the time it's like not even there's several times it's not even his like him fucking up. Right. It's somebody fucking up his shit exactly. while he's about to get the roadrunner.
0: Exactly. And we're we're not gonna spoil the end for you for your reading of this series, but of this issue, I should say. But I will say it has it comes to a very satisfying ending for both parties. Even though that neither of them get what they want,
1: yeah. How's
0: that sound? Does that well?
1: in the to, to move to the backup story, yes, which is actually what, drawn by Morrison.
0: It was done by Morrison, and, a, and I want to give a special old school shout out that Morrison drew Lobo in the style of Superman the animated series, where he made his first animated series um, debut. And he looked just like him. It was fantastic. It was cartoon Lobo. It,
1: it really was. I heard Brad Garrett and everything.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's like, get out of the way, you bustish.
1: Yeah. So he's in uh, Vegas, and in, in, it's Lobo in Vegas, trying to just basically have a good time.
0: Walking out of an Astro City-looking hotel with three hookers on his arm.
1: Yeah. And uh, Bugs Bunny is basically...
0: He shows up as a lawyer for Warner Brothers television. Yeah, and I think it was Roadrunner suing him. Something. Well, there was something going on and he had to, because in the previous story, he wasn't able to get the Roadrunner. He had taken a contract out on the Roadrunner, and Warner Brothers wanted him to go get the Roadrunner. Oh, that's, ro- that's something right. Something like that. They, yeah,
1: they they wanted him to go out, and Bugs is showing up. And, and, and he's wearing turn- no
0: pants, but he is wearing a shirt, a tie, and a navy double-breasted blazer.
1: So. <laughs> it's complete with lawyer speak. And, and a giant briefcase with and, big contracts yep. and... And he just pops up out of the most inconvenient hey, doc. times. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was fantastic. If you haven't had a chance, it's well worth your
0: $5. And honestly, I think this was my favorite one of the all-ages backups in the DC Looney Tunes books. Oh, it, and again. And while I enjoyed the one in Batman quite a bit, and I still hold that up as as one of the top tier, I will put the main, uh, quote-unquote, adult storyline of the Batman Elmer Fudd above Lobo Roadrunner. But then I'm going to flip them and say that I enjoyed the backup tale in this one just a little bit more than the backup tale in the Batman Elmer Fudd.
1: Well, as we discussed in the previous podcast about this, a lot of the, the books tried to continue the story
0: yes. in their
1: cartoony portion, yep. and it didn't work. And again, it was Bill Morrison going, no, 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 you guys have, haven't done it right. Here's how you do it. Right. And he connected that, those two stories flawlessly. It was perfect. It was, yeah, to me, I I put this one up there right next to Batman Elmer
0: Fudd for me. Honestly, as a complete package, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. I enjoyed this. The the main story was so good. Again, I I think if if we were to really parse it out, I would enjoy Batman Elmer Fudd, just the Tom King story, just a little bit more, plus it had the art uh, by Lee Weeks, In that one, which was just the best Lee Weeks has ever looked, in my opinion. And I still hold that that story still should be Eisner-worthy for best self-contained story. I I agree. Um, Tom King, I love you, Tom King. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love him so much. But this this story,
1: I I felt like, was right up there.
0: And I hope Bill Morrison does other superhero comics. Or whatever. I, I just I wanna read stuff by Bill Morrison. I wanna see stuff drawn by Bill Morrison. He's just a treasure.
1: He yeah, he definitely made a fan in me.
0: So I we were doing a five point scale for this one, if I remember correctly. I don't think we No, were. we were doing a buy it or leave it. That's right. So oh, I'll buy it. Buy, buy it buy fucking it. on site. So read it on comicsology if you can't get it today and then go to the comic shop and buy it again in physical space because it's that good to have this book. Absolutely. Between that and and the Batman Elmer Fudd, those are the two of the entire run of the Batman Looney Tunes books that you need or to get. DC. 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 We, yeah. What did I say? I said Batman, did yeah. DC, Detective Comics. Yeah, but... I'm just trying to cover my tracks here. <laughs> hey, look at that over there. Smack. Uh, anyway, so... <laughs>
1: Yeah, those are the. To me, it almost made it worth. It made it worth it. It,
0: it really did. In it, the end, it was worth it.
1: And those two books were the strength on those of those two books alone for me. Made even the atrocity of Wonder Woman Taz. <sighs> if I had to work through that to get to,
0: <sighs> man, to
1: get to you know Roadrunner and Lobo and
0: and Batman and Elmer Fudd, right? It was it was worth it. And then again, and I just want to shout out to uh, Jonah Hex Yosemite Sam that the main story in that the backup All Ages tale was not very good either of us thought, but the main story by Jimmy Palmiotti was fantastic. So yeah, overall, I'd say that the 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 collaboration was a win.
1: Yeah, I think I think uh, that's a definitely a a win a one for the win category.
0: There you go. So now we're going to go into. With that out of the way, we can now close the book on that chapter of the podcast, finally. And let us go into this episode. And we are not going to finish this episode until we review every single book.
1: There's only four, thank God.
0: Right? So we're going to talk about that. Um, I've already created the order, Adam. So if you'll forgive me and then go for it. What I'll do is we talked about this off air. I'm going to read off uh, the title and the creatives on that. And then Adam will give a little bit of brief um, description of the plot. And then we'll go into our thoughts on the title. So we're going to start with the Suicide Squad Banana Splits, written by Tony Bedard, with art by Ben Caldwell, inks by Mark Morales, and colors by Jeremy Lawson. So let's start with the main story for that one, Adam.
1: They didn't have back... Oh, yeah, they did have backups. They all had backups. that's
0: right. We'll get to the backups.
1: Uh. Gosh. Um, so, this is pretty much the banana splits get stranded. Their car breaks down.
0: In the middle of nowhere. And then they end up getting arrested. They get arrested because they. I forget they, why. Because I think they encountered gangbangers or something like that. It was a pretty hardcore, you know, bubblegum pop band being broken down in the middle of nowhere and then coming across malcontents. Anyway. They go to jail. And, and if, look, a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with the banana splits. So, and Adam is rubbing his eyes. So while he's rubbing his eyes, is a guy who was a child when he saw the banana splits, they're a 70s bubblegum pop band that's comprised of, human, of humanoid versions of a chimpanzee, a lion, um, what else? An elephant... And what's the other... What was the pink one? Oh, fuck. Was it a wolf?
1: Cat? I, I don't know. It was... I think it was a lion. I, well, there were, I said lion oh, he, already. Okay, he was the pink one. Anyway, there are four animals. I'm I'm just going to put it... I fucking hated this book. I fucking hate... <laughs> part of the reason I can't remember is I. this book was terrible. Honestly, it was... It, the, it was so bad. So the Suicide Squad get caught up doing Suicide Squad shit.
0: And they're they're in this situation where Amanda Waller's going to have to blow all their brain bombs and call it a, call it a day with the Suicide Squad. And Rick Flagg is like, no, don't do that. We just need backup. And so they pulled the banana splits out of the pen. out of pri- Because they were all sent to prison. So the joke is you get to see the banana splits in orange prison jumpsuit orange. And they're getting harassed in prison, and then you realize they're actually humanoid wild animals. They might as well have come out of the Acme Labs from Roadrunner yeah. Road Lobo. Was, man, and the elephantine one went. And I can't. I think it was Snork was the guy's name. They all have stupid names. Anyway, this elephant dude is is like superhuman. He's beating the shit out of all the all the guys in the pen. And Amanda Waller just happens to be looking at security camera footage at Bell Rev and goes. I've got an idea. <laughs> so she pulls them, they go save. They, they have a montage like Rambo where they're all like clicking their utility belts together and tying their headbands on and locking and loading their AKs and Glocks and this the, book was fucking terrible, wasn't the, the, it?
1: Yeah, the timeline and it didn't make sense to me either because they went this. The banana splits went through all this shit that had to be, happen in multiple days,
0: right? And then they come. Well, and, in in the American justice system, it would take years to get well, to the point where they're sent to a federal penitentiary. Yeah, and uh, and so they then, plus you have to accept the idea that these mutated animals would just go to a regular gen pop. American yeah. federal penitentiary. Yeah, like a judge is just going to
1: be like, uh, what's his name? Oh, he's a fucking, whatever. Yeah, uh,
0: I you your. Yeah. Yeah, this is the DC universe. Go to prison. You yeah. know, it's like. Well, <laughs> and
1: even then, they go in and save
0: the suicide squad in that one moment that they're all fucked. Right. And it, oh it just didn't, it, you're absolutely right. The timeline didn't line up. Anyway, they save the, the Suicide Squad, but they realize that music is their true passion over Black Ops Commando stuff, but they were inspired by the Black Ops Commando stuff in their time in prison. So, Adam, tell the kids at home who haven't read this wonderful tome of comics what happens to the banana splits at the end of the story. So
1: they go from a, bu- a bubblegum pop group to a hardcore gangster rap group
0: honestly they're on stage like fucking NWA
1: I that was it was an
0: NWA homage it really was and who's in who's in the crowd Amanda Waller and Rick Flagg and I think I fucking Harley that, Quinn yeah. was there maybe Deadshot I don't know but the like I'm sorry, but I never thought Rick Flagg would be caught dead at an NWA show. I mean, I could see... Or in prison. It, or in prison, for that matter. I mean, DC is still fucking the legacy of Rick Flagg up, as far as I'm concerned. I don't read the Suicide Squad book, because I still think it's a hot mess, even though some of the character designs I enjoyed. I enjoyed some of the character beats with Deadshot. I thought Katana had a really cool sequence especially how they altered her costume to be more samurai-like. I really, I, I, I like the design of Katana in this one, but the story was nonsense. It was, yeah, it was, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, so I, I'm just going to say if it was, well, okay, let's, let's wait for the rating. Same rating, buy it or leave it. But I am going to talk a little bit. Then there was a backup where they feature another Hanna-Barbera character. Who's the backup in this It one? was Snagglepuss. And it was Snagglepuss that was um, not really on trial, but he was summoned. It was in the 1950s. And he was summoned before the House Un American Activities Committee for being a possible pinko. Now, if you know anything about Snagglepuss, he is an actual pink tiger. Yeah. (laughs) So he's literally a pinko. And McCarthy and his boys were giving him, you know, grilling him over, you know, who do you know in the cartoon community that's, that's, a communist, we need to root out communism and all this. And uh, let me tell you this. The story was written by Mark Russell. Uh, The art on it was by Howard Porter, which I thought was pretty decent. And the colors were by Steve Busolato or Bucciolato, if I'm butchering your name. okay. So I butchered your name. I'm sorry sorry about that. Steve Busolato. And the art on this was pretty good. The story I thought was pretty nice. He wouldn't flip on on the on his fellow creators to say who was a commie and who wasn't a commie or, and might have had ties to a communist party while going to Cartoon University or something yeah, like that. And he was a playwright, correct? He was he he was a playwright because you know his whole his whole spiel was time for me to exit stage right. You know he oh, yeah. he was a scaredy cat, and I never liked Snagglepuss as a kid. But there was an air of poignancy to this in saying that, number one, you don't flip on your bros. <laughs> if that's considered a, a positive thing or not, I don't know. It but in on the the context. Words, I guess more, more to the point, the story is stand up for your ideals. Because after he gets out of the, the HUAC committee, as, it, it's, it's, as it's abbreviated, he is uh, approached by another quasi-famous Hanna-Barbera character, Augie Doggy. And this guy who, this dog in a giant green turtleneck hipster sweater, you know, approaches him and says, Hi, my name is Augie, and I'm a writer too. And I thought that's amazing what you did back there. And the two had a conversation about standing up for your principles between these two cartoon characters on a park bench in Washington, D.C. And it shouldn't have been poignant, and it shouldn't have actually, you know, touched something in me, you know, the creator in me, but it did, you know, staying up, standing up for creative principles, not being pushed around by by people with a bully pulpit, et cetera, et cetera.
1: I'm glad you remembered this because I found it very
0: forgettable. Yeah, I'm not saying it was the best story that I a backup story that I've read in these books, but I think there was something to, I think there was something positive to come out of this book. So I'm going to say that the the backup feature I thought it's fine, but the the main feature to me was utter shite. I, I just didn't enjoy it.
1: I think I was so soured by the main feature by that I was burnt out by the time I got to the backup.
0: And, and look, that's a, that's a fair criticism. So, look, if this book goes on comiXology for 99 cents, maybe I'll tell you to buy it. But if you're in a comic shop or, or thinking about spending four ninety nine dollars for this book, and let's be clear, all of these books sold for four ninety nine, dollars which is top dollar Oh, absolutely. for comics, I'd say leave it. Yeah, Leave I, it. I leave it. So you get two leave its. You can really ignore this book again. If you get if if it's on sale or is in the quarter bin at your FLCS, sure buy it for the backup feature. But otherwise, I just leave it behind. Fucking
1: just stand there and flip through the backup. I'm
0: sure the the owner of the shop won't mind. But hey, if you want something for your for your for your long box, what the hell? It can make good Christmas stuffing. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. So uh, what do we got next? We got anything better next? Yes, we do have something better next, just based on the cover alone. And that is the Mike Allred drawn cover to Booster Gold Flintstones number one. Oh, okay. And this story, again, like the backup for Snagglepuss, the main story, which was a team-up between Booster Gold and the Flimson, And the, fl- the Flimsons? The Flintstones, The Flintstones. Okay, I'm going to stop now. Yeah. Anyway, the Flintstones was written by Mark Russell as well, who is a, a, a writer that I am not familiar with. Um, uh, he
1: did Prez, the oh, six-issue series. Okay. And then he also did... The 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 reason he was writing this is because he did the main Flintstones book with the whole Hanna-Barbera uh, change-up. You
0: know, when they were talking about you know being in the war together and yeah. having PTSD and talking about real-world issues yeah. in, in B.C. times.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, he wrote that. Awesome. So Mark... Uh, Russell wrote that. Rick Leonardi dusted off uh, his artwork set and uh, did the art on that. Uh, along with Rick Leonardi with Scott Hanna on inks. And again, Steve Busoletto on colors for this book. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the story on that. Adam. So
1: the story on it is there's an alien invasion while Booster Gold is broke on a date. And this is in the future.
0: Yes, this is in his future.
1: And so he ends up talking to Skeets and figuring out how to go back in time and prevent this. And he does he he steals does he steal a time a time bubble? Yes. So he steals a one time. man one man
0: time bubble. That's
1: what it was. Yeah. And then he it screws up and he finds himself saying hi to Fred and Barney.
0: Yeah. He goes that far back in time to one million BC.
1: So he gets there. Nobody
0: really (laughs) seems to be startled by him. And there's not really because it's an advanced society that works with Stone Age technology. (laughs) It's the Flintstones. They have cars that they power with their feet and Yeah, for for working with cranes and shit like that. It's, it's the Flintstones. it, It very much is. And just a little bit more attention to anatomy in that.
1: Yeah. And so, and it turns out Booster Gold gets there, and then the an alien, much like the one that he saw, comes down, and Booster Gold flips out yep. and, and attacks him. Yep. And uh, it turns out that's what altered the, the future timeline for them. They turned into radical extremists because
0: Booster Gold knocked out this guy. Who was apparently this messianic kind of figure that wanted to bring peace and enlightenment to the earth of 1 million BC. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And instead he, this brought the crusades.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was like millions of years later. It was an, it was really an amazing story. And then Booster goes back into the future and Fred and Barney go with them or something like that. Yeah. And then the guy that, that came to earth a million years ago was brought forward in time by a time traveling pal of Booster and he's like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, they killed you a million years ago. We're here to avenge you. And he goes like, guys, chill. I'm not about that. Yeah, you missed <laughs> the point. You, you I, I get what you're saying, but you're really missing the point. And this is the first book, Adam, where I thought there's more going on with these DC Hanna-Barbera crossovers than there was in the majority of the DC Looney Tunes books.
1: Well, while the DC Looney Tunes books were character pieces. Yes. These all had, to a degree, they all had uh, very
0: social, relevant points. Almost, you can say, morals to the story, really. Yeah. You know, almost written as modern day fables. Very much so. To call it that. I will say this. I enjoyed this book a lot. I, I thought there was a lot of great physical gags, physical comedy gags in this.
1: My favorite part was the end where Booster Gold, he he pretty much pulls a Marty McFly.
0: Yeah, he asks... Alfred, when he's in modern times during his time travel escapades, oh, if he could borrow ten bucks, that's <laughs> right.
1: And he and he puts it in a in, in a in a bank account, in a bank account, and it expands.
0: Yeah. So when he goes back to his time, and that was it, the 25th century or something. Yeah. That he has 3.75 million dollars in his bank account. Yeah. So he can so, pay for his date. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Um, so I, I like this story quite the main story in this one quite a bit. And I'm now more intrigued about looking at the Flintstones comics, as, and they were very well-reviewed by multiple outlets before. It makes me kind of want to go back and give those a shot.
1: I've heard nothing but good things about those, so I'll probably do the same. Uh, yeah. As for the story, I thought it was fun. Yeah. It, it was
0: cool. It was nothing that was meant to, to change the world or anything, but the fact that they managed to uh squeeze a little moral of the story out at the end of it I thought was kinda neat. Yeah. I'm
1: not a Rickley and Artie fan and neither that, am I that fucking that was probably the biggest strike against it. I feel like the book... I do feel like this is the best... I think he
0: did a really good job with it, though, even though I'm not a fan of his, and I thought it was, it was better than I thought it was going to be art-wise. That's
1: exactly what I think, and I wonder how much of that goes to Scott Hanna,
0: the veteran anchor, Who is an who is an amazing artist in his own right.
1: Yeah, and and helping save the look of this book.
0: Yeah, so... Definitely a good story there. Then there was the backup story of the Jetsons. Okay,
1: this was the most poignant story out of the entire, all four books. We're
0: going to tip our hands here and say I think this is both of our favorite backup feature. Easily. And and these are technically all ages, but just like the Flintstones comic where they're talking about PTSD and surviving war, this book, was, which is technically an all-ages book then as well— this is technically an all ages story. We'll get to that. I do want to give a shout out to who the creatives were on this. And it was written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor, two of my favorite creators working in the business right now. Just love them to pieces. The art by Peter Brito. Do you, do you, are you familiar with Peter Brito's work? Uh, no. Okay. And, well, okay. And then colors by Alex Sinclair.
1: Now that you say that, I can see that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, we can both see that. I it mean,
1: was fantastic, and it was very much the art
0: was very much like Frank Quietly, in my opinion. It was very mu- okay. I was wondering because I I couldn't really put my finger on it, but there was a Quietly element to it, and it it was it didn't have the stylization of a Frank Quietly, but in in the anatomy, the aesthetics, the aesthetic, and whatnot, the way that the blocking in you know the way the characters were presented in a frame, I can totally see where you're going with that.
1: Yeah. So the whole premise of it was Judy goes off and visits Grandma,
0: and that's George and and uh, his wife's... What is his wife? Uh, is she
1: no, she's not Judy. She's
0: Judy is the daughter. Yeah, is it June? Jane. 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 Stop this crazy thing. Yeah. So. So anyway, George and Jane have no idea where Judy's gone. Uh, Elroy is playing video games, or I should say, space video games. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, tell us what Judy's up to. So
1: Judy goes to the nursing home, says what's up to Grandma.
0: Who we've never met before in the cartoon.
1: Yeah, I have no clue. I was just like, oh, well, she's
0: visiting Grandma. That's cool, whatever. And she's laying in a space bed with space controls, and it has a windshield, but I guess it was a... Like a a, clear screen TV or something like like that? Almost
1: like the Minority Report screens. And so they're kind of talking about Grandma's life. And as it goes on, you start to see Grandma go, yeah, I think this is a good end of the road for me. And Judy going, well, you know, if this is your decision, I'll support you and I love you. And at that point, I was horrified. I was like, oh my God, we're doing end of life shit
0: in this story. She said at that point, now this is the future. She was 125 years old.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, because it was, and I thought it was a nursing home. Yeah. It turns out it wasn't. It was a place where they, uh, well, as you you find out, George, uh, George and Jane Put together the pieces as to where Judy is, right? Using uh,
0: personalized GPS on her, which they, everybody has in the future. Yeah. I mean, that should be another another little hidden uh, note there. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: they go find her, and it turns out that Grandma is terminating her
0: life. She, she's she's done with work with trying so hard. She's been through multiple procedures, and she lots talks of, about seeing everything she wanted to see with her family, and she misses her husband. Yeah. You know, and I remember my grandma when she was getting towards the end of her life talking about how much she missed her husband who had passed 20 years before. And it just it was heartbreaking to see her stuck in that position where they could have prolonged her life probably another 20 or 30 years with future science if you think about it. Yeah. And she was just suffering. Yeah. Suffering by these extraordinary measures that were being taken on her and what kind of life is that and it's asking us really tough questions about quality of life
1: it, it yeah it, it definitely made you think yeah and so as judy and george and elroy arrive they
0: they come to this end of life Jane, cent- yeah. they go was it uh, new life something like is that is the name of the name of the company because yeah. everything is owned by corporations in the future go figure and
1: <laughs> and so grandma <laughs> pops out with Jane after
0: like, she had passed, saying that you know he was told by George was and the family were told that it's already happened, yeah, and that something was in process, yes, and so Jane or Judy comes out, yeah, and she's she's crying, and it's just such a human moment, you know, which is not stuff that I associate with the Jetsons because it was all screwball comedy,
1: and this the, is very much. Uh, it has a happy
0: ending. It does because out comes Rosie the robot in her in her getup, you know, with the single wheel at the bottom yep. and the the block face.
1: And and in fact, he's just like George is like, Mom, what are you? Doing? And she's like, I'm a robot, and I'm not your mom. Just call me
0: Rosie. Just call me Rosie. Give me a big hug. Yeah. You know, and I'm sitting here going, wow. In in one backup, eight page backup. They're talking about such such big things as end of life, tracking your children okay everybody being being chipped basically and they're talking about transhumanism which is stuff that I remember from fucking transmetropolitan and in in other books of of shedding the human skin and uploading your consciousness into other stuff you know a lot of stuff that I'm, my favorite science fiction author is William Gibson. Or one of them, I should say, where he talks a lot about consciousness alteration or con- consciousness transference and things like that. So they come out with this big sci-fi concept right there at the end of the thing. And she has she has she has transformed past her human condition. I, I was blown away by this story. Yeah, it how was, well it pa- was brilliant. By the way, Palmiotti and 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 Connor worked together as writers, they're they're husband and wife. Um, they already work together on a lot of projects. as it is, I thought Peter Brito's artwork. This is my first experience with him doing the artwork for a book. I was blown away by that. And Alex Sinclair, is, fuck, he's Alex Sinclair. Yeah. He, he is again one of these colors like Laura Martin, who has this unique color palette that's that just they use. And you go, okay, that's an Alex Sinclair joint. I just he makes the book better.
1: He is Jim Lee's colorist, and
0: well, there's yeah. a reason for that. Because he's one of the best in the business. Absolutely. There's a reason why Laura Martin is regarded as one of the best colorists in the business, because she can make everybody look better. And and
1: Sinclair's the same way.
0: Yep, yep. So look, based on, on the strength of the first story, which I thought was good, you know, maybe it's on the high side of an average rating, uh, I'd agree. yeah, that's perfect. You know, the high side. Let's that, say that's a, a perfect statement of that. B B minus kind of, you know, school grade. I'd give it. I enjoyed the book quite a bit. It made me laugh out loud in places, and then I'll be honest, I was I was almost in tears at the end of this. The the, the, the eight page backup.
1: Yeah, same same here.
0: And honestly, if they could have gone twenty two pages with that, I would have bought that comic just on this strength of that one story alone. But I think that the combination of this above average, funny, com- you know, played for laughs, booster gold, Flintstones team up, and then this heartbreaking and at the end heartwarming, but also consciousness scratching, you know, like it makes you really rub your chin a little bit. To It makes you think. It challenges it, you. It challenges your belief about what is human life. Dude, I'm gonna give this book a serious buy based on that. Uh,
1: Me as well. the The backup is what knocks it over for me. Yeah. The, The is I felt like that was an. You summed up exactly how I felt with the the main story, and that the backup, in my opinion, it's the best of Connor and Palmiotti. The best thing I've ever read from them as a writing team. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of their work generally. Oh, okay. And this, I wish. They had more stuff like this because that you would convert me very quickly. Yeah, uh, this is some of the best stuff I've read from them. I would love to see was it Pierre or Peter Brito?
0: Yeah, Peter Brito.
1: I'd love to see more of him.
0: Yeah, his art was great, and and he did both the pencils and inks on that. So yeah,
1: so that that if, in and of itself solidifies the buy for me.
0: Now, if they can put Mark Russell with Peter Brito on a comic book, I think chances are I would buy that comic book at this point. <laughs> some of these books, they teased continuations. Boy, wouldn't that be something that there's possibly that DC's going to get back into the business of printing Hanna-Barbera books. Because they, they say in the, the backups, to be continued in Jetson's number one, to be continued in Snagglepuss number one. I don't know if they're... I think these are maybe pilots... I can see that. That I want to see a Jetsons comic book after reading this eight-page backup.
1: Yeah, I want that world. I want to see what that world looks like.
0: Yeah, I would read that. I would read it in a New York minute, man. A New York, you know, all the buildings float in the sky minute. (laughs) (laughs) And they probably float in the sky because of global warming, melting the ice caps and turning the the planet into water world. (laughs) 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 So that's my pitch. Okay. That's, yeah. Dan DeDio and Jim Lee, if you're listening, I'm ready to write an entire series of Jetsons hardcore futurism comics for I, you. I don't think I could do it better than Palmiotti and, and Connor. I don't think I can too, but I'm pitching one part the massive, one part transmetropolitan. <laughs> huh? huh? I, that's pretty hard to turn down. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So the next book that we're gonna go to is one of my favorite DC comic book characters, and I think I've told you this on a, on our uh SDCC film and TV special, is Adam Strange. I love Adam Strange.
1: Yeah, you were telling me about Krypton and how you were
0: excited he was going to be in there. It'll be his first time in live action. He's been in all kinds of series, um, both as a guest star. And he didn't come out in... Um, my strange adventure was mysteries in space.
1: Okay, that makes sense.
0: That's that was the one. My strange adventure was I that think, Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol. Okay, yeah, I had to do a little deep dive there. So there we go on that piece. But this is Adam Strange teaming up with the heroes of Future Quest. That was written by Mark and Draco and Jeff Parker, two guys that you. I mean, we've talked about how much love we have for Jeff Parker.
1: And, Mar- and Mark and Draco uh, being the mastermind between love, behind Love is Love. Yep. Uh, you know, they're both solid creators joined by Steve
0: Lieber, who is also uh, a veteran draftsman. I mean, his work, I, I, he has done so many different kind of comics out there. Um, I remember Steve Lieber the most from his uh, turn with Greg Rucka on Whiteout back in the day from Oni Press. And I just love his work. I, I think he is so good. What What was one of your favorite Steve Lieber books? Uh, my favorite Steve Lieber
1: joint was probably, gosh, you know what, Underground. I think he did. Oh, yeah, he yeah, did, yeah. Didn't he do Underground with Jeff did. Parker? Yeah. I think that was him. I yeah. think you're right. And and that I remember really enjoying that, and that's from Image.
0: Okay. I'm going to have to look at that again. I, I, I seem to remember that, but I don't think I, I read the whole thing. The colors on this uh, main story were done by Veronica Gandini, who I am not familiar with. Me either. But maybe she's the one doing the Future Quest stuff? Do you know if she is? No, I think
1: High Five Colors is doing that. Okay,
0: possibly. Maybe she works for High Five. I don't know. Yeah. But it looked very much like a Future Quest book.
1: It, it very, yeah, it was kind of like the continuation of, uh, well, it, it was very much an annual Yes, uh, if they, I think the inspiration behind this, uh, behind originally calling the manuals, mm-hmm. was having this crossover
0: because it. I think it seriously continued some of the storylines that were taking place in the Future Quest comic.
1: And while I have every issue of Future Quest, I've not read them. I've read the
0: first six.
1: I, re- I think I read the first two, and then I saw I st- like. Oh, I'll just read it all. You know, I'll binge it. Because
0: I love me Johnny Quest and Race Bannon And you see them uh, up up front and center in yeah. this. So they have a thing with vortices, vortexes, that pop up from, that are breaches in the space-time continuum, which explain for things like Caveman or Birdman and Dinosaur or Dino Island, I think they call it in this one. and uh, Or I think they call it the Lost Valley. That was Where, what it was. That It was the Lost Valley, and these these vortexes uh, the, the pr- proper plural term for vortex is vortices. But these vortices pop up, and strange things happen. So Doctor Quest and his team, comprising of him, his son, his adopted son Haji, who is a snake charmer and telekinetic and hypnotist,
1: <laughs> and ra- and uh, a racist, and betrayal. don't forget,
0: don't forget, race race Bannon. Who is a super secret agent? Always carries a gun on his back and a knife. Um, you could see where the the um, the inspiration for Venture Brothers comes from is from Johnny Quest, and I just love the original 1960s Johnny Quest cartoons.
1: Yeah, this this really nailed that, and they end up running into Adam Strange, who and- pops
0: out of one of these vortexes, and he has Vortices. no clue who he is. He's got complete amnesia and but he works it out through the course of the story.
1: And so they, they end up running into these villains. Who are agents of fear. Oh, that, yeah, <laughs> that cracked me up. And they're, they're trying to get to this certain spot. In the Lost Valley. And they think that if they get there, they'll be able to basically go out into the world and, and conquer everything past where they're at.
0: Right, but in the Lost World, or in the Lost Valley, excuse me, is where Dino Boy, that was another Hanna-Barbera cartoon sh- series of shorts, where it was uh, this boy, I can't remember the kid's name, but he is like this tip he is like a red-headed Johnny Quest who was let who found himself, he was separated from his parents somewhere in the Lost Valley, which is this gigantic area, and he is under the protection of a caveman named Ugg <laughs> which is an appropriate yeah. name for a caveman, I think. But what they find out is, is that this world has Atari physics. So if you go try to leave the Lost Valley, you come out the other side and you're constantly stuck. For whoever's in the Lost Valley for, through, who, came through a, uh, who didn't come through a vortex, you're stuck there until you can find a vortex out. So it's really cool in a way. So they, he, this kid can't leave the because lo- Doctor Quest says, "Hey, kid, we got to bring you back into the real world." He's like, "I can't. I've already tried. And every time I leave, I, I pop back in another part of the of the valley, and Ugg has to come find me." So he has this guardian named Ugg that he can communicate with, and he rides dinosaurs. <laughs> It's flipping awesome. Yeah, it was
1: pretty cool. Birdman pops in, makes an appearance, right? uh, trying to fight the and, whole Agents
0: of Fear thing. Right, he's an agent of Internation, which is the the good guy agency. Um, the F- Agents of Fear are also stuck in the valley, so what they're trying to do is find Adam Strange to make him uh, reverse engineer a vortex so they can escape, which... He eventually does for him because it was mixed with Zeta Beam radiation, which is why he was able to go to the future Quest Earth. And at the end of the story, well, let's just say it doesn't go well for them. I won't spoil the end of the story for you, dear and dear you listeners. And you
1: will see a Jack Kirby design property.
0: That went... That was fucking cool. It was really fucking <laughs> cool. So, and I very
1: cart, very Hannah very cartoony. Yes. but not done in a. It was done as a not in a wink, not in a cheesy look exactly at me way.
0: Yeah, it was not done cheeky at all. It it was in the course of the story, and I would like to see Adam Strange team up with Johnny Quest in the future. I think that was a great team up.
1: Yeah, it was a solid read. Yeah, um, look,
0: this was not a story that was meant to change the face of the comic book industry. This was but not just at all. not but just like the the Booster Gold Flintstones issue, I think Andreko and Parker as a team, which I don't remember either of them working with each other before. I thought these two guys worked together really well. I thought the dialogue was really crisp. I think the story could have been a little bit more cohesive in parts, but overall I really enjoyed the look and the feel and and the attitude of this book. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, and then there was a backup story featuring Top Cat. <laughs> Adam's rubbing his oh, eyes. Jesus. That was fucking awful.
1: <laughs> that You want to talk about the Jetsons being the thing that pushes it over to buy it? You know what? I would have bought this on the strength of the main
0: story. Right. And when I got to the back, I was like, what the fuck is this drivel? Honest to God, it was such, you know... When you have to turn really hard at an intersection at, at way too high of a speed so that you can make the light. And then you drift off and get and, hit by a fucking semi. <laughs> 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 okay, that's worst case scenario. I wasn't necessarily thinking that, but in the end, you're right. Um, look, Dan Dedio, I think that that you're the steady hand at the switch of DC Comics. I think you're probably a good dude your guy who knows animation, because he comes from the world of animation before he came to DC Comics, maybe you should just stick to publishing. I, I, I have not enjoyed Mr. Dedio's writing.
1: Same here. I was excited years and years ago when he was going to, you know, debut on The Outsiders with Philip Tan.
0: Right. And then he did the Phantom Stranger book and. He did that. He did several. The new 52 Phantom Stranger, I need to say. Yeah, I
1: wanted to just. Yeah, his work has made me want to stab
0: pencils in my eyes. I think he's a guy that I would probably share a lot in common with, taste wise, but. He's a guy whose execution doesn't match his ideas. If Does that make sense?
1: No, because I feel like half of his ideas are a mess.
0: Well, I, I think he has an appreciation for the property.
1: That is one thing he's I, very I, much... I, I, to me, he reminds me of almost like the, the captain of the baseball team yes. who has passed his prime, but yet still wants to play right. around with the, the guys right. every now
0: and then. And I'm telling you, he's a workman writer... And he can complete a script, and he's a creative, and he's a guy who's done more than either Adam and I combined have done creatively in our lives. So, look, I'm not not trying to criticize him too hard, but I will say this, is that this Top Cat story, if you don't know who Top Cat is, and a lot of people don't know who any of these characters are because they haven't aired in some time, a lot of them are found on the Boomerang spinoff network of Cartoon Network where you can see the older where it animation. used to be Cartoon Network <laughs> right but yeah. they have a spin-off network called Boomerang where they show mostly older series and just to tell you what some of those older series are that includes Batman the animated series Superman the animated series and Justice Wait, League Wait
1: they added that?
0: Yeah. To Fuck Boomerang. World. Yeah. Well, I.
1: I knew they had super friends. I knew they had like a lot of the Tex Avery yeah, but they got stuff.
0: B and S Tass on that as uh, well. Fuck. You know. yeah, we're old Jim. Gen- well, this is this is. I mean, look, Cartoon Network is run by shit like Venture Brothers and Rick and Morty now. So that's true. That's they. That's true. They keep up with the modern day. They really do. So it's nice that there is a network that has a place to host new these cartoons. O- these older cartoons, and the new ones or the old ones, the yeah. older ones. And Top Cat was basically a guy who was kind of a grifter in a world of cats. Okay, so everything, the people are cats, so they all wear jackets and shirts and coats and stuff, but nobody wears pants. I don't understand that. Nobody has genitalia. It's cartoon logic. Cartoon logic. Anyway, for some reason, Top Cat and a member of his crew who was the genius who could make like weird science devices and shit like that gets transported to the new 52 Earth and Top Cat has to talk his way out of a beating from Batman. You heard him. <laughs> you heard him right. Top Cow has... Top
1: to- Cat. To- Top Cat. I'm Top- so mad. I'm so fucking <laughs> mad. I can't get my shit straight. So Top Cat has to schmooze his way out. Hang on. Of getting- I'm just going
0: to sit back and brace for impact here.
1: <laughs> he has to talk his way out of getting his ass beat by Batman. Motherfucking Batman. Master detective Batman.
0: Ninja Batman. Yes. Overall badass Batman. Like, this is a the- guy that, <sighs> that aliens as powerful as the White Martians from Grant Morrison's run of JLA years ago, where angels look at Batman and go, oh shit. You know? <laughs> the man who mastered Fogal. Right. Right. And this is, this is a guy where in the current run of Batman comics... They're talking about that Batman had a fling with Satana back in the day, which I think is a nice tip of the hat to the uh, Batman the Animated Series episode with Satana in it. And I thought it's a it's a great callback that works very very well. And Batman knows some shit about magic too, so which would explain his ability. Not I'm, he doesn't yeah. teleport or do anything fancy like he that, understands it, but he he gets it. He knew that it was a force in the world. So he went to Giovanni Zatara and met his and fell in love teenage romance with Zatana Zatara. Anyway, he gets this kind of shit, yet some fucking fast talking douchebag named Topcat, who let's be quite honest, is a fast talking douchebag, bro, talks his way out of a beating from Batman. I'm sorry. I'm leaving that dead air in. Just think about God, that for that a second. That was so
1: bad. Who drew it?
0: Phil Winslade.
1: Because I remember thinking with,
0: with color by Chris Chuckry.
1: <laughs> See, I remember thinking like the it was too dark and brushy. And that makes sense because Winslade's good and he works
0: yeah, good Yeah, but with, his with Batman that. design was bullshit, dude.
1: Uh, yeah, and the, the whole was, working in the, it was in an alleyway. The whole thing took place in an yes, alleyway. yes. All the stuff that wasn't flashbacks.
0: With flashbacks to Earth Cat.
1: <sighs> yeah, it was so fucking <sighs>
0: terrible. It was bad. And then, so he talks his way out of a beating. Okay, let's just accept that move on. I don't want to accept it, but it happened. Batman's like, don't let me catch you here again. And he takes off because he he's looking off with a warning. He's he's on the he's chasing after Catwoman, who he proposed to in the recent issues of Batman. I think that's also what threw me off, is that the other books actually played with the status quo of the characters a little bit and took that into consideration. And this one is like, no, just Batman's chasing Catwoman because she pulled a heist. And who else is hiding in the in the background is Catwoman. And Top Cat managed to cover her escape at least for a little bit of time from the Cape Crusader. Yeah, it.
1: Buy this book. I will. I'm going to go ahead and say buy it.
0: Yes, but don't because waste. the main story is worth it, especially if you're an Adam Strange fan or more more permanently like like that's going on right now. Future Quest is a tremendous book that everybody should buy. Buy Future Quest, and you're going to get a neat little Adam Strange extra bit of flavor in it. But honestly, you can cut out the back eight pages. If you have the the physical copy of the book and you like mutilating comic books, cut out with a pair of scissors the last eight pages of this book. And you won't miss anything. So I'm still saying buy it. Yeah. I'm saying buy with mutilation.
1: Uh, I'm saying, I'm saying, buy it too. Just don't waste your time with the back, and that also should tell you how fun the the main story is. It
0: really is, and and all the bits are there, and there are so many great appearances by other characters. Again, fucking Birdman's in there, and Adam Strange looks up into the air and goes, Hawkman. Yeah. <laughs> There's a moment where he thought, I'm be- I'm really on my Earth, you know. I just haven't met these people. No, I'm somewhere different. <laughs> but anyway, it, it's it's a tremendous book for the first. Two-thirds of it, but it's the back eight, which are, is yeah. just fucking terrible. And again, Dan DiDio, look, you. I think overall, Dan DiDio has been overall pretty good custodian of the DC universe. Um, I can't argue with that. I, I I, I think he has taken chances where his competition on the East Coast maybe doesn't take chances anymore. I think that his his proposals, his... His big picture.
1: I was going to say his broad scope his is very good. His broad scope
0: is very, very good. Having Jim Lee as his creative partner and as, as being his co-publisher is fantastic. And I think that this recent rebirth initiative has really led to a true reinvigoration for the overall DC Comics line. My only regret is is that we had to go through the New 52 as a whole to get to this point. But I feel like we're at an even higher point now creatively than they were pre-New 52.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, the whole reason New and this is a tangent, but the whole yeah. reason New 52 came about is because there was somewhat of a crea- uh, stagnant
0: creativity there. There was. Somewhat. And, and I, look, I'm going to give Dan DiDio credit. And I think this is tangent worthy because I don't want to make it sound like I hate Dan DiDio. I do not hate Dan DiDio. I don't like Dan DiDio's writing on particular works, but like you said, his broad scope. He was seeing that things after Infinite Crisis and after Final Crisis, things were starting to spiral a little bit. It was not It was not that the books weren't selling. It's that it wasn't exciting creativ- creatively. It wasn't exciting for the people working there, and it wasn't exciting for the consumer buying their books. It was that we were buying the DC books before New Fifty Two, out of inertia,
1: and there were like surprises here and there. Scott but, Snyder on Batman, yes.
0: Uh, the whole Court of Owls thing came pre New Fifty Two. So, well, not all of it.
1: None of it. I thought it did. There was discussion of it in the Batman: Gates okay. of
0: Gotham. It's me and my memory. My time. My time frames get a little bit mixed up, but uh, Scott Snyder did debut before. Yeah, he the is, new, new Fifty Two. Dick
1: Grayson is Batman, right?
0: That was yes, the, yes, yes. That okay. was a
1: that the Dick Grayson as Batman, in my opinion, was a successful yes. uh, change.
0: But it, the 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 successes in the individual titles were getting fewer and farther between. Yeah, Justice League was shit at the time. It, it was it had completely lost what it was. It, it it was really trailing at a trailing down to being a third third rate book.
1: A lot of the team books, were, when you look at it. Um, I had,
0: lament Teen Titans though a little bit. That you know Jeff Johns leaving the Teen Titans book to me was the final nail in the coffin oh, of was. their team books.
1: There was that. I mean, of course we said Justice League, Suicide Squad wasn't even a book at the time. It was Secret Six. Yes, yes, which was okay.
0: Yeah, because Gail Simone never turned in a bad script. They were just some that were be- much better than others. Yeah.
1: Um. You had Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, but, was that Gail Simone doing that at the time,
0: or uh, who was I th- doing I one? think it was Gail Simone, because Greg Rucka had just wrapped up, and I think Gail Simone picked up after some fill-ins. Anyway, the long story short is, is that I think Dan DiDio is a quality guy, so please don't hate Dan DiDio. Oh, basement. it was Phil Hester doing one Woman right. at the time You're with, right. uh, with Don... I don't know. But the point yeah. that I'm trying to make is, don't hate on Dan DiDio strictly for his writing, Think about his overall uh, contributions to DC Comics, and, else, and I think if you do that, you'll see a whole lot more good than bad. Agreed. Okay, so I want to move on to the last book, and to me, this is the best book. Just my, my opinion, and we'll get into that. Okay. And that is Green Lantern Space Ghost by the writing team of James Tinian IV and Christopher Sabala with art and cover by Ariel Olivetti. Adam, tell me about the story.
1: So they're in deep space, as Green Lanterns do. Yep. And Hal Jordan's talking to Salak, and Salak's like, hey, there's this weird thing over here.
0: It's like a weapon that the, oh, yeah, it was the like power a, that can destroy parts of the universe. Yeah. And,
1: and Hal's like, all right, I'll see what's up. And then he sees this guy, or does he see? No, he sees Larfleas. Yes. So he sees Larflees. Agent Orange. Yeah, and he's Larfleas is all, ah, oh, mine, 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 weapon, mine, mine. And uh and <laughs> As
0: Larfleas does.
1: Yeah. And then you see Space Ghost running around and he's like, Oh fuck, Zorak. I'm gonna start firing at Zorak. Yeah. But it wasn't Zorak, it was Hal Jordan. Yeah. And Hal Jordan's like, What the fuck is happening?
0: And there is a fight between and we're not just talking a fight. There is a knockdown drag out fight between Hal Jordan and Space Ghost.
1: It was pretty intense. Um, they in fact once they figured out that they weren't like the enemies they thought they were, yeah. They still
0: were fucking enemies. Yeah, they still were, you know, they were still not on the same side when they found themselves planet side and then Yeah, they crash-landed. They crash-landed into a planet that could not see the stars at night. Which was a pretty weird thing. I thought that was a great concept. Great concept. And, and again, you know, science fiction works best when it works as metaphor. And what would tell you you are alone in the universe more than a starless sky on a clear night? And it was because this, this race was extremely xenoph- xenophobic and had put a protective force field of dark matter around their planet where they could not see the sky. Beyond the atmosphere.
1: In fact, they viewed, uh, well, a lot of people viewed the, the fact that there was no st- stars uh, and that there was nothing above. Anybody that believed there was space
0: was yep. a conspiracy theorist. It was. And it was a great take on the refusal to believe science today. How there is such a gap between what is actual provable peer-reviewed science versus personal opinion. As Neil deGrasse Tyson said, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. (laughs) And this was a great, you know, turning that statement on its ear to make it the core conceit of this story of an entire race. that thought they were alone in the universe because generations before they put up this defense shield and said, look, if they don't know, if the populace doesn't know that there's anything beyond our skies they're going to calm down a little bit. And they did. It was a pretty placid, you know, society. And anybody who thought differently by using things like science were conspiracy theorists and laughed out of universities and organizations the world over.
1: And the, it turns out as they're wandering around, they run into a little girl. Yep. And uh, this little girl kind of takes
0: them in after they're kind of beat up. And she is accompanied by a robot who insists that both heroes turn their weapons over so Space Ghost takes his power bands off and puts them in in this box and then Hal takes his ring off and puts it in another box and then you have they they run into her uncle who is a mad scientist and- who's not very mad he's one of those conspiracy theorists science who who figured out using you know like radio telescopy and whatnot that there were other worlds just by using actual science.
1: And it turns out the weapon... Was not a weapon. Not at all. It was the uncle building a ship and building tools to get past this dark matter.
0: That's right. And unfortunately, the energy signatures that Space Ghost and Hal brought down to the planet combined with the energy signature of that quote-unquote weapon, which was really a spaceship, brought the government security services to their front door. So, like, the the bad guy was the planetary government prop- propagating the conspiracy that there were no stars, that there were no other planets, that there was no bigger universe than just what's on their own planet.
1: And, of course, following the traditional meet-up, fight, team-up, this <laughs> brought in my favorite moment out of all the, the main books, yes. the main
0: stories. Yes, it was a great moment. And
1: it was, they swap weapons.
0: Yeah, we the girl throws the boxes to each hero and says, here's your weapons back. Help us. And Green Lantern opens the box and space ghost power bands. He's like, Oh no. (laughs) And eventually they just go, fuck it. Let's go. We got to fight. So Hal puts the power bands on uh, space ghost? I almost called him green ghost. (laughs) He's green. (laughs) He was, he was. Yeah. And just like, I remember there was a bit, I want to say if it wasn't identity crisis, it was in the justice league that Brad Meltzer wrote. Where Ollie put on the power ring once, Green Lantern's power ring, and he said it was the hardest thing he ever had to do was to force something to come out of the ring. It took so much of his I, I can't remember, but I'm pretty I, I want to see Brad Meltzer wrote it but I can't I think rem- that was in rebirth. Was it in rebirth? In Green Lantern Rebirth, he shoots you're right, he it shoots was shoots the arrow out. And, you're right. He shoots an arrow, one arrow. For him, the end the, the, the amount of willpower it took him to push one arrow out of the ring was all he could do. You're absolutely right. It was Green Lantern Rebirth. And they played with that with Space Ghost too. But you could see that Space Ghost is no this is the Space Ghost of the Ariel Olivetti comic, the miniseries that you
1: I loved that. I thought that oh, was super was, cool to see him again after, you know, fifth 15- Nah, not 15, but probably about 12, 13 years. Yeah,
0: I mean, a long time. It Look, look that up. It's probably best to get it on Comixology by by ease. If you find it at your local comic book shop... Snatch it. Snatch it up, because the Space Ghost miniseries was dope.
1: And this was a nice little uh, follow-up to it that. It
0: was, and it was Ariel Vetty who... Oh, my God, I want him to do more work. He is, his work, his colors, his paints, his... I'm gonna go visit him. No,
1: really? Yeah, at the San Francisco Comic Con. Nice. That's how I'm spending my birthday. Nice. I'm gonna be at the Comic High Con. High five Con. for that
0: one, bro. So That's, I'm gonna
1: see him and Bill Kevich. I'm and,
0: gonna be out of the state on that one. So definitely give them my regards. Would I, you? I
1: will do because we know they're listening.
0: And, and uh, <laughs> you beat me to yeah. it this one, um, but. Space Ghost had this hard time using the power ring, but he got a kind of a hang of it. Towards oh, that's the right.
1: End. He made a fist.
0: Yes, he made a fist. He's like, wow, that's tough. <laughs> oh, and he
1: talked about the burning
0: up his arm. And he's like, you feel that all the time? Because holy crap. Yeah, this this burns. He goes, yeah, you're channeling, you know, however much energy. And, of course, the comedy with Green Lantern was is that he didn't know which buttons did what on the yeah. power bands. So, he was just kind of aiming and firing and hoping. And he kind of got a hang of it towards the end, being the good test pilot that he is. And, look, this story took such a turn that made me go, oh, my God, at the end of it. But it set up such a beautiful ending that... I have to say, this was my... I mean, personally, and I love the the Adam Strange Future Quest main story, but given the level of interplay between the two lead characters in this comic and the the turn the story took, not only bringing the heroes together, but in what they had to do in the final scenes of the comic, I thought was just beautiful. I thought it had a beautiful ending to it. Yeah,
1: it was, it was really touching. It was. Um, to see... I'm not going to spoil how it ends yeah, because it's, it's a great it's a great character moment. Even with the little bit that was built, they they really w- work. They they run with it and yeah. ex- and expand it as much as you can in that.
0: I and I have to say I've been critical of James Tinian the Fourth, uh, his work before, but I will say this: this is some of the best writing I've read from him.
1: Um, I'm a big fan of his detective comics. Okay. And uh, so I had some hope going into this. I've not read anything Christopher Sabella's done, and I know he's done quite a bit.
0: Um, I thought they made a great team.
1: They did, and they they told a a really well-done story. And, I mean, Ariel Olivetti, it's hard to get a bad story out of him.
0: You almost can't. And I thought he had an... I mean, I've seen his space ghost before. I've never seen Ariel Olivetti draw Green Lantern before. And boy, wouldn't that be a treat oh, to see in the future. Holy fuck. I would love to see Ariel Olivetti either on Green Lantern, Green Lantern Corps, or hell, maybe even Justice League. I would love to see him. Yeah, that would be a, fantastic. I would love to see him on a big DC book. I, I I know that he's an in-demand artist, and he he's not the fastest working artist out there, but...
1: He Held a pretty monthly he, he, book when he was doing Venom Space Night. Yeah, I, I, I think he did
0: the first 10 issues altogether. He, yeah, and that's probably because he had pretty good lead time. I'm just saying that I I, I want to see him all the time. <laughs> Understandable, he's you, fantastic. God, his illustrations are absolutely beautiful. So, look, I'm just gonna say before we even get into the backup story for this one, it's a bu- this book is a buy based on the strength of the main story alone. Uh, I'm an an, I'm an, I agree as well. So, I want to get a little bit into the backup feature, um, which I don't think was the best backup feature, but I don't think it was the worst backup feature. Um, I think the best backup feature, bar none, is the Jetsons. Easily. Easily. Um, This one was not Top Cat, so I will easily say that. Uh, It was rough and ready. I was not very familiar with rough and and ready. Um, I guess it's a, what was it? It was a dog and a cat?
1: Yeah, and it was like a comedy team. They were
0: a comedy duo in nineteen fifties America, basically, you know, in the era of, of Lewis Stan- and... Well, and, yeah, Jerry Lewis and, um, Martin. and uh, yeah, Lewis and Martin and stuff like that, where comedians did smoke-filled nightclubs as opening acts for singers and musicians and whatnot, you know, like for Sinatra and Dino and 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 all Sammy Davis Jr. and all those guys. It was uh, written, and dra- written and drawn by Howard Chaykin with colors by Will Quintana. Do you know Will Quintana? Yeah,
1: he's done quite a bit. He's, he's really, really good in my opinion. Yeah,
0: I thought he complimented Chaykin's very old school style very, very well. And this is classic Chaykin. Now, this is in a universe where most of the background players are all human beings, but that the stars of the show, as they were in many Hanna-Barbera cartoons, were the animals. Living in this world of human beings, and there was no difference. <laughs> I I
1: thought the the how it started out was really touching. Yeah, because there was a it was kind of a they were comedy duo.
0: It was a cat and mouse if I remi- remember well, right.
1: These two wound up together because one of them had a partner that passed away. Right, and, and uh, that
0: was to me that was like really a real good emotional pull. It was, and then the second one as a, as a counterpoint to that uh, was fired. By his comedic partner, so that he could, you know, rise through the ranks of the comics, going on stuff like the Ed Sullivan Show back in the day. And Howard Chaykin, say what you want to about Howard Chaykin, a lot of people are given given him a lot of heat right now for his comic work. We're not going to do that. We're just going to talk about this. Howard Chaykin understands days gone by. I think more than many other artists out there. He gets the look and the feel. Of downtown New York in the 1950s and the 1960s. He gets what those smoke-filled nightclubs with the comics, you know, working, you know, smoking cigarettes and and drinking booze nonstop. Well, if you look at his
1: work on Satellite Sam.
0: Absolutely.
1: He did what was, it was Captain America Theater of War. Theater of War. It was America First, that was the one shot I think it was called. And a lot of that takes place during that time period. Yep. And you're right. He encapsulates that perfectly.
0: His stuff on uh, when he did the original Shadow miniseries, which the Shadow... Yes. Um, even though it was Blood in, and Judgment. Yeah. It was originally in the 80s. They did flashbacks to the 1930s where he gets the 1930s. He gets period pieces, I think, better than most artists do. And he's Howard Chaikin. You know, he, he, he wrote the story about these two down-and-out comics who found each other and as they were drinking at a bar, this dog and a cat with no pants <laughs> drinking at a bar with other humans, which I think is a famous bar in the heyday. Was of, it like a New York establishment? I a new, exactly. And they're like, they see, they're, they see, the one guy sees his ex partner up there, and the other guy sees um, the guy who fired him. And, or no, it's because the guy, there, there was the cat who, who was with a dog, a big fat dog that died. And there was a touching funeral scene for him. And then there was uh, the guy, but he, basically the guy who was fired sees him with a new partner as like, they're using my old jokes. That's the joke. That was the set I did just last night. He must have been sitting in the audience. And the, they're both drunk at this point. So they're like, well, let's go get him. And they go meet him backstage at the Ed Sullivan Theater, which they show the actual facade of the Ed Sullivan Theater as it looked back then, they go into an alleyway, beat the crap. Yeah. (laughs) Which is what comedians did back then. You know, it's like you don't steal another guy's material. And I thought, look, was it it my favorite story? No. Did I enjoy this short piece? I absolutely did. Plus, I wasn't hampered by the fact that, oh, well, what about all the rough-and-ready mythology that's out there? Exactly. That was... was,
1: I had not... I honestly had no clue who these characters were. Yeah. So it was very easy for me to hop into this and you know enjoy a, a, an old-school Howard Chaykin joint.
0: And it was great. So, I mean, in that respect, I, I would put it under the Jetsons but above the other backup tales.
1: This comic was the most well-rounded comic yes. out of all of them, and which, in my opinion, makes it the best.
0: Yes. So I think you'll understand our double-buy for this one. We both say you should buy this. And look, again, you don't need to look up all the rough and ready stuff on YouTube or Boomerang or anything like that. Just take it for what it is as two down and out comics trying to get theirs and basically how the two, the origin of how the two become a comedy duo themselves. So, yeah. So, Adam, I think we had a great run talking about these comics. I just want to run down Lobo, Roadrunner. We both say bye. Emphatically. Emphatically. Suicide Squad Banana Splits, we say it should have been called Suicide Squad Banana Shits. It was terrible. The backup feature was tolerable, if not somewhat enjoyable for me. But you, I, I would not recommend – like I talked about – you know, buy but mutilate on the Adam Strange Future Quest one. This is a flip. A this flip is a side flip. Of- I would actually cut out the eight pages of this and put this, put those, that Snagglepuss story in the back of the Future Quest comic <laughs> if I yeah. could, if I could edit them together. But we can't. So I think it's worth reading the Snagglepuss story, but that's about it. Uh, Booster Gold Flintstones—that's a buy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just solid. I mean, it's not again. It, it's it's fun, enjoyable comics. Fun, enjoyable comics, but it's the Jetsons story which will make you cry. That is the best backup. It's the best eight pages of comics you're going to read from a mainstream publisher this year. Uh, there, I said what? it. What? Yeah, I I disagree on for, that. Okay, which but... one? What eight pages are better? Um, for an eight-page story. Good
1: boy, I, th- I felt was better, which was out of the Batman Annual.
0: Not that was was that this year? I, boy, no, shit. that was 2016. You're dude. right, it was 2016. Shit, shit. I'm, wait a minute, the old man might actually be right. Uh, maybe. Okay, so maybe. just 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 cogitate on it. You don't All even right. have to say, but that's just my hyperbole right there. I'm putting it out there. Um, Adam Strange Future Quest again, just fun comics. Forget the eight-page backup to it. It's it's just not the work you you don't want to know Dan DeDio for that story. You want to know about Dan Don't Di- let that be your first impression of him. No, just just consider if you're interested in the comics industry. Just understand Dan DeDio is is a cooler dude than that. Just understand that Phil Winslade has done better artwork than that, and Chris Chuckry. He's been around the block uh, more than once. He's going to get another gig after this one, so I'm not worried. That's not even a question. I'm not worried for any of the the art, either member of the art team on this. And then, bar none, the best experience, the best um, whole experience from the main feature to the backup tale to us is Green Lantern Space Ghost. Which features a rough and ready, which was done by Tinian the Fourth, James Tinian the Fourth, and Christopher Sabala with art and colors by Ariel Olivetti. Ariel Olivetti doing his own colors, just oh, he's, he's a, a genius. he's a one man show. He's a genius. And then the backup tale, rough and ready, written in, with art with with line art by Howard Chaikin, colors by Will Quintana. Fantastic. So I, I think we got it right on this one, Adam. I I love to hear what other people have to say. Uh, fight me, bro! Yeah, come at come at me, bro! <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Graphic Podcast. We're still posting to Instagram, much to everybody's chagrin. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I've been slacking on it. It's okay, but the show can be the show can be found on Instagram at graphic po- at graphic podcast, Our official Facebook page, which is also the official page for the show, where you're going to hear news about the show as well as musings about the comic book industry. I always post articles that I see from the Comics Beat, Bleeding Cool, Newsrama, CBR. That can be found at facebook.com slash graphic podcast. And Adam, where can the kids find you online?
1: So the kids can find me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. It's all Adam S. Messinger. At Adam S. Messinger. I can't talk. At at Adam S. Messinger.
0: There you go. So it's all there. And I'm the one with the confusing social media profile. I'm at Jimmers with three M's on Twitter. I'm at Jimmers with five M's on Instagram. So you pronounce it Jimmers. With creepy tone of voice and everything. With everything. And you can find me on Facebook Simply at Jim Mason. And so until next time, Adam, what do we tell the kids to do? Go read a comic. And after you read that comic, please, please, please listen to graphic content.